Hello all, welcome to the Hope Without Sight podcast with your hosts, Sailor Cooper and Tyler Evans. The topic of this podcast will consist of many stories of people from various backgrounds and experiences who have had many challenges and have been able to successfully overcome them and rise to the top. So sit back and relax as we give you the best of these diverse stories. Because if you are feeling down and out, like you cannot make it in the world, then this podcast is the right one for you. Because if my guests can make it, so can you. Happy listening. All right, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Hope Without Sight with your host, Sailor Cooper, and my co-host, This is Tyler Evans. Welcome to our second episode. Today, we're going to be featuring another inspirational figure who has overcome so many challenges in life. She is a blind woman who belongs to the National Federation of the Blind. She has been blind since she was 12 years old, has overcome so many challenges and to tell us all about it, please welcome Rebecca Meadows. Rebecca, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Sailor. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, thanks for agreeing to be on the Help Without Sight podcast uh, today with my co-host, Tyler. And the reason why I invited you is because um, you and I, we met at the convention of the National Federation of the Blind in New Orleans. And um, uh, I got to be on your podcast first, actually. So I thought, why not you be on mine? And uh, <sighs> I, I'm so glad you're here because, indeed, you have overcome so much adversity. Okay. I've, I've read your, I've, I've read your most recent book. You've written Metamorphosis, and what you tell in that story is just remarkable. And it, it only gives mm. a message of hope that. If if you can achieve, anybody can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So can I talk to you then about my book and stuff? Sure. Yes. Go ahead. Um. So as Sailor was saying, we met at the National Federation of the Blind in New Orleans last month. And and we we had a lot of good times there. And I we met a lot of great people and stuff. Um, but um, after Sailor and I met, I sent him an audible copy of my most recent book, my third book that I published last December. It's called Metamorphosis. And this was my first, this is the third book I've published, but it's my first venture into fiction. And what I've done with this book is in six short stories, I've written, I've retold my own life in from the perspective of different blind women um and and in the book these blind women go through the same obstacles and the same hurdles and the same trials that i went through and and in the book they change their thought processes to help them overcome all this incredible stuff in their lives to 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 succeed and and in the book i i mean I, i broke it up into six short stories to make it funner and each story focuses on a different period of my life when I overcame just an unbelievable 
obstacle. And, and I've had to overcome obstacles that many blind people have not had to overcome. And so I'm just going to try to give you guys a brief, um, I'll, I'll give you guys a brief description of each of the six short stories. The first short story is called Growing Hair on Your Chest, which is just a few pages of words of wisdom from blind Becca. And and I, I honestly sign it like that, like um, that it's coming from blind Becca, right? Right. And um, also you mentioned God and you now you mentioned that God yeah. is your savior and he uh, he's he he gives you the strength to just exactly, carry on. Exactly. Exactly. That was an important theme throughout this book that and it's throughout all my books, but this one in particular, this was an important theme that Sailor really picked up on. And 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 so the next story, the second story is called The Trials of Tracy Jones. And it's about Tracy Jones, mm-hmm. a young woman who goes through a public high school as a blind woman with no accommodations. This woman wasn't allowed to use a cane in school. She wasn't allowed to learn braille or use accessible technology. And and she was just pushed through high school, not being able to keep up with her peers and not be able to not being able to participate at an on an even keel with her peers and through this whole experience she was so angry and she knew that someday she would share her story with the world to teach others so this wouldn't happen again and oh wow and and so so that's what i tell in that story and the next story i tell is penny Plummer's story which is just about a two-year period in the author's life when she learned a lot of important things about herself and about the world that later on help her overcome some other obstacles in her life and the next story is called saving beth's baby and that's the story of beth green and her husband greg and their legal battle to escape from the abusive guardianship that beth found herself locked under when she was 20 years old by her parents and their lawyers and she was locked under that for 15 years but that story is about that struggle and then after that the next story is called gretch the wretch and it's about gretchen stone's First National Federation of the Blind Convention, where she learns all kinds of wonderful things about her abilities and the abilities of her peers. And at the end of that story, she has a really big win. And then the final story in Metamorphosis is called My Premonition. Yeah. And it's about a premonition that God gave me before the accident when I was a child, before any of this ever happened. And throughout the throughout my life the last 33 years as I've been dealing with all of this stuff I've often reflected back to that premonition he gave me you know for strength and stuff so I share that story in there and I kind of try to tie it all together to give my readers the same faith and in faith in themselves faith in God and faith in their country that the the same faith that the characters in the book have and I've had a few of my friends read the book now, and especially my blind friends, they they seem like they're so impacted with by my stories. Like they they see it seems to me like they they have the same it helps them get the same faith in themselves that I had to overcome all that BS, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you see, I've I've I read a book last week and I was so moved and inspired because I mean I I like how you wrote all those characters like uh Tracy Penny. Uh, Beth, um, and, Beth. And, and 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 some of those characters, it, it, it's really you, you know that, right? Uh, no, that that's, guys... that went through it, and you you told it in third person. I like how I like how you did that. 
And so that, but, but listen, guys, I'm making, I'm writing my next book and I'm, I plan on being done with the first draft sometime this month. So I can send it on to my editor and we can begin the publication process. And this book is called, this next book is called Still Busy Steering. And it's my next short story collection. And three of the stories in this next series are part two of stories in Metamorphosis. For example, like in, in Penny Plummer's story in Metamorphosis, um, something really tragic happens at the end of her story. And so when I tell part two of yeah. her story, she realizes that even though she she thought she lost everything, she realizes that now she can actually start rebuilding from the ground up. Because Good. what happens is they, in, in well, I, I'm going to give you guys a little spoiler here. At the end of Penny's story in Metamorphosis, she gets locked under a guardianship. That's and right. I, and, and if you guys don't know that these guardianships, and they're also known as another term they use is conservatorships. And guardianship and right. conservatorship very, very similar to the same thing when it comes to legal terminology. And oh, yeah. what these lawyers do is they find people who have money. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. I've met people who live on social security or disability income who are locked, locked under guardianship. Because of my struggle, God has brought my path. I cross paths. God has made my path cross with so many other people who are struggling with their own guardianship. So I've heard so many different stories, right? And like I, I've heard about, like I said, I've heard about people who are living on disability and and their sister-in-law, like their husband will die or something, right? And their sister-in-law will become their legal guardian. And then their sister-in-law takes like 95% of their, their income because then their sister-in-law is their payee. And the payee is another term, another term that is part of all of this, right? Right. Mm -hmm. and, as many of your viewers probably know what a payee is, because many of them probably have had payees. And, and so they understand the, the, the abuse that I'm talking about and the way that they take your rights away. But when, so a payee is, is something they do to a lot of disabled people who only have disability income or something to live on, right? But sometimes when you have more money, they, they lock you down under a guardianship and or conservatorship. And, and they'll even slap these guardianship and conservatorships on you if all you have is social security, right? Because some of these people, these thieves, they really are thieves. All these thieves want is more money, right? Even if it's only a few hundred dollars a month, or if it's a few thousand a month, or if it's oh, yeah. a few, few hundred thousand, right? There's so many disabled people out there, and not just disabled people, elderly people too. Listen, when I was in Montana, Oh, it made me so sad. One of my neighbors, when I lived in Missoula, her name was Elsie. When I moved in, when I bought the house next to Elsie and her husband, Ed, they were, um, I don't know, they were grandparent aged, right? But they were both vibrant and still doing things, right? And that was in the and, book too, Elsie, I remember. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Um, Elsie, um, or are you thinking, um, oh, you're thinking about Elsie in the kitchen yeah. when I was, when Tracy was in high school. Yeah. But as an adult, that same character, who's me, I actually had a neighbor named Elsie, Ed and Elsie Martinson. I was their neighbor in Missoula, Montana for years. And when oh, I wow. met Elsie, they were a delightful couple. And, and then I had my first son, um, 
I'm not, I don't want to say my first son's name. I call him Wayne in the book. So I had my first son, Wayne, when I was living next door to Ed and Elsie. And, um, and I remember when, when Wayne was just like two or three years old, Ed and Elsie would get back from like an errand to the store or whatever. At the same time, John and I, or I mean, Wayne and I would be arriving home from a bus trip or whatever. And we'd be walking down the sidewalk to the house and Ed and Elsie would pull up in their car and they'd be in their driveway and Elsie would see us walking and she'd get so excited to see my son Wayne and Wayne would get excited too and he'd run up and greet her right and and her husband Ed was always really excited to see Wayne too and oh, wow that's good and and then Ed got sick with leukemia and died and then Oof. very shortly after that I remember I, tr I kept a close eye on what was going on at Elsie's house because I was just waiting for somebody to come and take her out of her house at once her husband was dead. And it wasn't long before I went over to visit her one day because I saw a car parked in front of her house and it she was sitting on her couch and she was crying and her sister was there and some other relative, one or two other relatives. And I said, Elsie, what's going on? And she said, Patty, that was her daughter, she said, Patty, Patty tricked me into signing this paperwork and and now she's selling my house up from under me and she's putting me in a home in this other city where I don't know anybody. And, and it really broke my heart for my neighbor, Elsie. She was so scared and, and I prayed with Elsie that day and I told Elsie, I said, Elsie, I'm so sorry for you because this is exactly what my parents and their lawyers did to me when I was 20 years old. Yes. And so I knew what Elsie was feeling, you know? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, and, 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 and so like I said, this happens to elderly people. And then I've also met a lot of disabled people, um, people in, uh, in wheelchairs, people who are blind, people who, who have no visible disability, but just have like some cognitive delays, even those sorts of people I've met, and all of these sorts of people find themselves locked under these guardianships and find themselves penniless because they're now living on an even more fixed income than they were originally because now they have this payee or this guardian or this conservator who they have to pay to quote manage their their affairs for them. Yeah, and, and they and and they do all of this because of money. And like I know in the in the book, you even mentioned uh whenever your parents put you in that guardianship because your parents, because uh, let's go back a little bit. I know you have a brain tumor at 12 and um, mm -hmm. the doctors uh, try to do surgery to correct it. And instead uh -huh. it, of course it made things worse. It made you go blind. And no, uh, so listen, it, you can't say the doctors did A, B and C and, made it worse and maybe go blind because there were different doctors involved yeah. for one there was the original doctor who had been treating me for three years wow for three years before this incident but and and this final incident that that doctor did the one who'd been treating me for three years who was misdiagnosing the brain tumor the final thing he did was he performed a spinal tap on me and it caused the pressure in my brain to skyrocket to the point where my brain herniated so it was that oh, wow. guy who diagnosed it for three years and then who did the spinal tap who who killed me and and who who I had to recover from all the damage he did to my body and brain. Oh, that's it, right. Yeah, it, you were in a coma. He did the, 
it was because he did the spinal tap that I wound up paralyzed on the left side of my body. Oh, wow. I was paralyzed on the left side of my body when I woke up from my coma, right? Right. And, and, and that's why it turned out to be such a horrendous thing. And so that first doctor was the doctor that was at fault. I have forgiven him long ago, and, and my readers will learn about some of that if they read my books. Um, but it was the doctors later on, the doctors who saved my life by performing that emergency surgery. They, they, did a, a, they performed a cerebral infraction on my brain in an emergency surgery to save my life because of what that first doctor did. My brain was like scrambled eggs. Thanks for the correction. Yeah, so the spinal tap was the one that caused you to go blind. And I remember in the book, you were saying how that um, all those doctors, they fought the other side of your brain that's responsible for like decision making and the cognition. They thought that was affected, uh, which is was part of the reason why, you know, they put you under that guardianship. They thought you were like, mentally incapable which we know you're not i mean and that, no, that Taylor, did, did you read all three of my books or did you only read metamorphosis metamorphosis so far oh wow because you got a lot out yeah. of it very intuitive yeah because i mean honestly i i i did want to read all of them before we came on the podcast but like you said no 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 just read metamorphosis and and you know we can do a there podcast. you go yeah yeah and i've, I've actually i i'm almost done with this next book called Still Busy Steering, in which I have like the, the like I said, this part two of these three blind women, right? Right. And and so so in this next story, I tell the part two of Penny Plummer's story, in which I I give a detailed description of her time in a traumatic brain injury re- rehabilitation program in Missoula, Montana. That that guardian took her to and left. The, I mean, he just took her there and abandoned her, and then he went back to his house eight hours away on the other end of the state wow and so so that was another part of the whole story that made it go so wrong for this young lady right was because this guardian who was supposed to be looking after her affairs and looking after her best you know her what was best her best interests in life right he didn't give a shit about her he just left her in missoula montana and took off and then he sat in in his cushy office up in Hill County for what was it? I don't know, seven years. I think it was seven, eight years collecting a healthy paycheck from my account each month. And so by the time I got free of all of that, I was so angry because I was locked in that city of Missoula, Montana for 15 years. And guys, I couldn't go to blind training. There was nowhere for a blind adult to get any training in the state of Montana. There's a a deaf and blind school for, for kids under the age of 18 in Great Falls, Montana. But I was a blind adult. Yes. No braille, who didn't know how to use a cane, who didn't know anything about uh, accessible technology. So when I joined the NFB, I really took off because I've been looking to succeed for years and I had a story to tell and I was just looking for the opportunities. And when I joined the NFB, I found the opportunities. And boy, I, I, fell in love with the NFB when I joined it and and um and I've been a really big um NFB proponent for years now um I'm a little unhappy with the NFB about the way they handled this convention we went to last month yeah um, me too but, me too 
but the NFB has done a lot of really good things for the blind community and for the disabled community overall. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you told the story of Gretchen going to her convention in Las Vegas. You went all the details of uh, her arriving at the airport, getting her luggage, getting in the uh, car, talking to the Uber driver. Um, yeah, well, I, di- I didn't <laughs> like that to make it more personal so my readers could connect with it. It's yeah. something I've been learning about my writing. Like, So when you add dialogue into your stories, it really sets them, oh, out, you know, it sets them on fire, right? And that's one reason you really enjoyed Metamorphosis so much is because I added a lot of dialogue and a lot of interaction with different people. And, and I taught through all of it. Like all of the conversations are, you learn a lot from reading the different conversations the characters are having, don't you? Exactly, yes, exactly. Like, wow. And yeah. I think, kind of, I mean, I, I set out to teach when I started writing. And, and, and that's why I'm so excited about Metamorphosis and the book Still Busy Steering that I'm working on right now. It's because I do, I'm able to do so much teaching through these fictional short stories. And you know, the reason I started writing short stories is because it occurred to me one day that Jesus taught through parables. And and I wanted to be a teacher. And I thought, I love to read and I, I've got this writing gift. So why not try to write in short story form? Exactly. It, and, yeah, and it makes sense. Characters, you know, and just highlighting the, the lessons I'd like my readers to learn, right? And I just feel like I've done really well at it. You have, you've done so well, especially, you know, growing up, you, you didn't have any accommodations whatsoever. I mean, the fact yeah, that so going, my, my, going to public school and you tripped on the stairs, that was heartbreaking. And to see where you are now, I mean, you, you've come so far. Listen, listen, so there have been times in my life where I, like, waking up from that coma, and then when my parents locked me under that guardianship, you know, those were two times in my life when I didn't know if I was going to be able to go on. But but I was able to reflect back on previous stuff I had overcome, right? And realize I had it in me, right? But I also, like, in, in Metamorphosis, I tried to share with my readers how I also reflected back not only on my own accomplishments, but on the accomplishments of the characters in the Bible, where yes. I draw my faith from, right? That's the origin of my faith, is the Bible. The Bible, God's so, word. And so throughout Metamorphosis, I, I share, you know, tidbits of my faith. For example, when Beth Green is walking into the courthouse to, to start um, the, the to start the battle with these lawyers and her parents, she, in her mind and in her heart, she hears the roaring of lions, lions similar to what Daniel might have heard when he walked into the lion's den. And I kind of you know, equate Beth's struggle with Daniel's struggle in the lion's den. Because when Beth was going through that, when I was going through that, I was depending on my faith in God. And I was trying to remind myself, God will give me perseverance here. He'll give me the ability to do it. All I have to do is have faith like Daniel had, right? And so that's like what I'm trying to teach in my do it in those are the lessons I'm trying to teach through my stories in Metamorphosis and in the book I'm about to publish called So Busy Steering. Wow, wow. And what also and, what, what moved me so much in that book is um my one of a one of my favorite stories was uh, saving Beth's baby when uh, Beth had her second son and uh 
uh, uh, he uh, Beth had an accident while in while in town shopping. Uh, a car hit her from the back. Yeah, yeah. She was in a car with her friend, and uh, shortly afterward, it was time for Beth to go to the hospital to deliver uh, her baby boy, and he a c-section was done and he came out he and he stopped bleeding and then he had to go to icu and thankfully because of because of the grace of god you know and that's hard work uh you know her baby boy was saved Uh, but but at the same time you know beth was still fighting that guardianship battle too yeah, and so, and Taylor, I'm really pleased that you're paying so much attention to metamorphosis because that's exactly, he pretty much just told an important part of Beth's story right there. Now, in my next story, Still Busy Steering, I tell the next part of Beth's story, and it's 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 essentially the two things were going on simultaneously, but the next part of Beth's story that I didn't wasn't able to share in metamorphosis that I really want to share is Beth's experience of being a blind mother. How I want I in in this next story, this next book I'm about to publish, I share details about how Beth overcomes some of the stuff she comes across as a blind mother. Like, like how does how does she read a thermometer as a blind mother? How does she know when you know how does she potty train as a blind mother? Like I literally I had two kids, right? Both of them boys, and I potty trained them as a blind mother. How does a blind mother do that? Well, I give details in there. And and I can't wait to read that. And and stuff like that, right? And I'm not done with the manuscript yet. And now as I'm sitting here describing what I talked about in there, I'm realizing there's a couple other stories I could add into this second part of Beth's story that would make it even better. But but and 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 I also um and all these things are based on stuff I actually experienced, right? And and another fun part of Beth's second part, the second part of Beth's story is I tell the story of how Beth catches her son's foot to keep him from injuring himself when he falls head first over the back of the couch. And in the story, I say, Beth thanked God for using his hand or using her hand to grab her son's foot that day so he wouldn't fall. Because you guys, I actually experienced that and there was no way that I could have done that in my own ability because I was legally blind. And the day that happened, my right hand shot out and grabbed my foot, son's foot as he went over the back of the couch. I know it was God that moved my hand that day to grab my son's foot to catch him before he went over the back of the couch because my son would have been injured. People would have been like, oh, she was a blind mother. It's because of her blindness that her son fell over the back of the couch, even though a sighted woman probably would have even had trouble catching their son's foot. I mean, it's so inspirational that you were able to do more in that and, scenario and than what a sighted mother would have done. And you and, said because of the hand of God. Yeah, and and throughout the book, though, the characters reflect back on their faith and, and how it's helping them persevere in the different situations. Just like I used my faith, faith in God, faith in my country, and faith in myself as a young woman to overcome all of it. Yes, always have faith. And, and uh, that's a really strong theme throughout Metamorphosis and throughout this next book, Still Busy Steering, that I'm working on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and also another important yeah. uh, 
item I want to touch on. I mean, of course, we know that the guardianship was solely because of, you know, purposes of money. I mean, did you get, did you end up getting that money after, uh, from the lawsuit that was filed against that first doctor or what happened? And also, I know... my readers need to read. So you guys need to read my first books um, because you're blind and changing my perspective to get those details. Those details are in those books. Yeah, I'll definitely read that. And, and since I want to encourage you, my your viewers to read my books. I'm not going to give away those secrets. Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah I'll, I read Metamorphosis. I'll definitely read the next books. Um, and also... I noticed, I know, I knew that on January of 2012, you were finally set free from that guardianship after reading the Constitution of the United States. Tyler, I know, I know you're enthralled with the Constitution. Uh, you oh, read yeah. the Constitution, and you oh, went. Tyler, to, you went. You went to the highest courts, uh, and you just you you. You went by the laws and you were finally freed from that guardianship. I imagine. Listen, I didn't even have to take it to the highest court, the Supreme Court. I would have did I, had I needed to. But when I read the Constitution, when I finally read the Constitution, like I knew in my heart and my mind that, that that information I was reading right in front of me was all I needed to show a judge to say, look at this. You have to let me go because of what it says right here. Yes. Makes you sense. know that? Because it literally, so you guys listen, the Constitution opens up with these words, all men were created equally by God and have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And when I read that, I realized that definitely meant me as well, right? And then I continued on and I read the First Amendment and the Second Amendment and the Third Amendment, all the way down through the first 10 amendments. And Every one of those, and every one of those rights that are there, or rights or protections that are guaranteed to us in those first ten amendments, every one of them had been violated by that guardianship, and that's when I knew exactly how I would get out of that guardianship. So the next time I went to court, eight years later, it, there was no question in my mind that I would win because literally my lawyer stood up, and when it was my lawyer's turn to talk, he stood up and he said, "Your Honor." Based on the Constitution of the United States of America, based on on A, B, and C, uh, Miss Meadows moves that you guys terminate this guardianship and conservatorship because you guys are violating her constitutional rights. And you guys, my husband, my ex-husband now, because I divorced him, but my husband at the time was sitting right beside me in court, and he was cited, and he told me that it was when my lawyer told the judge that that's exactly when the judge's expression changed. And when the judge started agreeing with me, when, when I had my lawyer point out that my constitutional rights were being violated and listen to me, you guys, if you're a disabled person watching this, and if you feel like you're being wronged in life, read the constitution, read those first 10 amendments. And if any of those rights or, or are being violated, then your constitutional rights are being denied you and you have a case. You, all you have to do is go to court and and I, listen these there are lawyers out there who will work pro bono and there are lawyers out there who love a, a good fight and who love to fight for an underdog and especially an underdog who's in the right so if you're locked under guardianship just like i said 
read the the first ten amendments to the Constitution and then go Absolutely. talk to the lawyer and show it to the lawyer because these cases are so easy for lawyers to win because it's 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 written law. It's 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 like what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, it, it's un it's unrefutable law, right? They they never argue against the Constitution in a court of law. Right. Like, right, right, exactly. So, so, so that's why when I went back to court on January twenty fifth, two thousand and twelve, I knew I was going to win that time, guys. I just knew it because, because, like, I said to the judge, "Look, Your Honor, it is written, and it's the same thing. You know, those words, it is written, are very powerful. That's why the Word of God is very powerful because it is that's written." Right by God and our constitution. It is written not only by God, but by the hand of man too. The constitution was, uh, I believe the founders of our country were very, um, were very, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, inspired by God. Exactly, they were, I, they were. And, uh, and, I, I I do have a couple more questions regarding like after you got out of a guardianship. Uh, one, do you still have you forgiven your parents? Do you, do you still talk to them today, or how how are terms there? So, so I have four parents, and I always had the theory that I had too many parents because <laughs> <laughs> I had four parents. I have a biological mother and a biological father, and they're both remarried. So I have a stepmother and a stepfather, both of whom have been in my life for as long as I can remember. So there was never a time where I was able to say to any one of the four of them, oh, you have no say here, right? Because you're just my step-parent. So I wound up with four parents, um, all of them wanting to help me, but all of them also completely terrified by what had happened right and they were get hearing from these doctors who also didn't know what had happened this all happened in rural montana in 1989 and i had these these ignorant ill-equipped ill-educated doctors convincing my parents that i was as good as dead and that my parents oh, wow. were basically bottle feed me and change my diaper and bathe me for the rest of my life. And, oh, and my, my parents were very angry. And my mother, who was the angriest of all of them because she gave birth to, sued. And the doc and the lawyers that she hired really knew their stuff. And oh yeah. And there was quite a settlement. And then three years later, this this happened when I was 15 was when the settlement occurred. And I remember, I remember those years when those lawyers were for the lawsuit. Guys, they were taking me to see different doctors, and these doctors were running tests, and these doctors were generating reports, and the lawyers were saving all this stuff up because this was the evidence they were gonna throw at the government to, to give them lots of money, right? And, yeah. and so I watched those lawyers scheming for like years. Like and and, and well. It was like three years because it was finally settled when I was 15. But then after that, then the lawyers started scheming against me because then it was like, then they started trying to convince me that my life was over and that I wouldn't, I'd be lucky to survive to graduate from high school. And you guys got to believe, I believed it because listen, because I wasn't allowed to use a cane. I was right. 
falling down down in snowbanks outside i was um pictured a blind girl walking on snowpacked and icy roads up to the bus and that was when it was really freaking cold out in the spring thaw then i was walking through mud and ice and water and do you know how often i slipped on that ice that was under the mud and water and landed in a puddle of water on my way to school or on my way home from school or doing other things around town so much that's right tracy slipped yeah. into mud in the book <laughs> yes and, and and i mean it only happens once in the book but but i tried to tell explain to my readers in the book that this was tracy's experience during her whole high school all four years is what this is what oh, wow. she went. and that was just getting to school imagine like and in, in the book I, I try to i like i talk about how tired tracy is and and how she hangs her head low as she walks into the school building right because i'm trying to give my readers my readers who've never been blind who've never gone to public school and who've never done it without accommodations i'm trying to help them understand what this was doing to this young girl's soul and to her mind you know and during this period of time like this is when the feminists were yelling about women's rights and women have a right to be in the army and women have a right to do this and women have a right to do that and women have all these capabilities and you better believe it i knew what a woman's capabilities were because i had already overcome a lot of, of stuff right because i'd survived the brain tumor and all of that stuff and and i survived the the cerebral infraction and then I came out of the coma and then they took me home from the hospital before I was done with all my physical and occupational and speech therapy so I was sent back to school like half dead I really felt like I was half dead all those years like in one of my first books I think it's my very first book still busy steering or maybe it's changing my perspective I talk about how in those early years I felt like I was dragging around somebody else's body that was too large for me be, be, and I was so tired all the time because of having to carry around this body that didn't quite fit me, right? Right. And and I feel like that was just my, well, my person starting to come back together because when, when that cerebral, inf when that, not that cerebral infraction, but when that um, a spinal tap happened, it like, it separated my whole being. It, like, it was like everything went, became shattered, right? And so when I woke up from that coma, here I am, this blind, brain-injured little girl, and they're telling me that my life is over because I'm broken beyond repair. And you guys, I was 12 years old at the time, and yes. I I could not accept that. Not just because wow. I've been incredibly smart because before all this happened, but because I'd grown up in America. I I and even though I grew up poor, I always tried my hardest at school because I believed that if I did my hardest at school, I, I could go on to college and do something with my life. But because of what they denied me in high school after all of this, the day I graduated from high school, I couldn't read, write, use a computer proficiently, or even cross a, a city street. Oh, That's how wow. helpless I was. And That's why I was so angry. And what you can do now, you've come so far a long way. And I know, um, I mean, if you, I guess if, if you're not ready to go into this, you know, now you don't have to, but uh, I know you went through blind emotion training as well. And that's what got you to where you are today. 
Yes. But so, but before blind immersion training, I went to traumatic brain injury rehabilitation training in 1997 in Missoula, Montana. And the reason I bring this up is because Sailor, you know, Tamar, Yes. Tamar and I have been talking about this and he's been telling me about some of his struggles. And I've explained to him that I had some of the same struggles and I told him about how I went to my blind or to my traumatic brain injury rehabilitation program in Missoula, Montana in 1997. And that was before I ever even heard of the NFB or ever heard of blind immersion training, right? But because I went to that TBI rehab training, that helped me fix my cognitive delays that I was having, my short-term memory loss, my um, attention deficit, my concentration deficit. I had so many cognitive deficits working against me. And, and I was ill-equipped and not ready to go back to, to the public school when they sent me back to public school. And through the whole, the whole time I was going through this as a teenager, I was so angry because I saw my life slipping away. I saw my opportunity for an education slipping away. And, and like I said, you guys, I wanted to be a teacher before all this happened. And I was so angry. I was angry at my teachers for that they were letting it happen. I was angry at my parents that they were letting it happen. I was angry at those doctors and those lawyers for the, for the wrong notions they put in my parents' heads yes. that caused them to do this to me. And, and, and then when I was 20 years old, two years after I graduated from high school, those same lawyers, those same lawyers who'd been in my life for years, the ones my mother hired to, to fight the lawsuit, right? And the ones who got involved later on, those same lawyers, they, they snuck into court that night with my parents when they locked me under that guardianship. And the whole oh, thing, wow. the whole thing smelled of, smelled of, of wrongness to me and 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 i just knew it was wrong but what was i supposed to do that night after they took my constitutional rights away pete robertson the one that they appointed my guardian he put me in his car and took me to missoula on the other end of the state where i didn't know anybody that's right you, yeah you yeah you yeah. you you put that in the book yeah 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 and and so 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 I was completely helpless, but I, I I decided, well, this is where I'm at now. God has brought me to this point. So I'm going to, to like do my best with what God has given me. And as it turned out, it was a lot because Peter Robertson put me in the uh, community bridges program, which was that TBI rehab program, which is what turned my life around. Cause those people at the program really wanted to help me get better. So not only did they help me with my brain injury, but they helped me with my blindness. These people got me connected with the local visual and visual services department in Missoula. And those people came to me and they gave me a cane and they taught me to use it. And Shelly Coffer, I can say her name because she's been dead for a long time, but she worked for these people back then. Right. And Shelly was visually impaired. And I remember Shelly used to come to my house. She'd use yellow cab in Missoula to come to my house and she'd bring these 2020 markers. I had never even thought of using black markers and and sticky labels and stuff to mark things in my house but that's what she taught me to do because I could see the 2020 markers because they were dark black and they had a wider tip right right and so so Shelly started is Shelly and the visual services in Missoula were the one people who got me started thinking about how to make my life accessible for me before that no one had ever like I had never been even been allowed to use a cane and I was so 
still stuck in the trauma of it all because I was still falling down all the time and stuff. I never even got to start thinking about how to make things work right again. So, so yeah, visual services in Missoula and Shelly Coffer and the community bridges program there in Missoula, those were the people who got me started. And then later on, when I left mm -hmm. Missoula, I sought out more training and that's how I wound up going after my blind immersion training. And I I've talked I talked about that in my next book. So in Metamorphosis, Gretchen Stone goes to her first NFB convention, but in Still Busy Steering, Gretchen Stone also goes for her blind immersion training. And and so a lot of my readers will find that really interesting. My sighted readers, because they probably have no idea what it's like for a blind person going through blind immersion training. And my blind readers will find it fascinating because many of them haven't been through the training. And if they have, they'll find it, you know, interesting to listen to. Cause like I find just like in metamorphosis, I was humorous at times and, and I taught at times and stuff. Well, I do the same stuff in this next book. And so um, this next story about Gretchen. So this one's called Gretchen gets a clue um, in Gretchen gets a clue. She, like I said, she goes to her blind immersion training and just like in, uh, Gretch the Wretch, where she has a lot of awesome things happen to her at the NFB convention. When she goes through her blind immersion training, a lot of other awesome things happen to her, and she learns a lot of great things about herself once again. So um, I really encourage your listeners and your viewers to stay tuned for my next book, Still Busy Steering, and they should definitely go check out Metamorphosis in the meantime. Definitely, and, and all, all those books are available on Audible and everywhere else you can get books, yeah. right? So they're all there you books, go. All my books are, all three of my books that are out right now, they're all three on Audible, um, and they're all on Amazon Print On Demand, and you can also get them on, like, digital downloads. So um, so if you want the cheapest, it's the digital download. If you're looking for access, the most accessible, it's the Audible. Um, so Great, great, great. And uh, – Tyler, if you want yeah. to tell, if you want to mention to Becca, tell us what we're we've been working on together because we're doing we're writing we're writing something similar along her lines, right? Won't yeah, you tell you Becca about it? On? What are you guys working on? We're writing a memoir together, basically about our lives, what we've how overcome. You, Tyler, how long have you been blind? Since birth, so Sailor, so, and get this. So, Get this, so we both have, me and him, him and I have the both, wait, him and I both have the same retinal condition. Both of us do. Have, have, did right. you guys grow up together in school? We met at Stephen F. Austin, we, uh, we met, no, we met at Stephen F. Austin State University. Uh, we met, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be uh, eight years this September, right, Tyler? That we know each other. Eight years. That's cool. Do, oh, yeah. So Tyler, you should come on my show, The Blind View, sometime. Oh yeah, absolutely. Have you looked at my YouTube channel at all? Mm, never heard of you. No, uh, well, oh. well, no, no, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't told him about you until like just recently. But no oh. worries, Becca, if you want, um, if if oh. you don't mind, I I can send him, I can send him your information. Yeah, can you send him my information that he could give me a call later and we can talk about it? Because I'd like to see if I can get him on the blind view. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. We'll, cool. we'll do. With we'll, Hammer and everybody else. So. We'll do, yeah. Okay, yeah, I just, ate, I just ate me some lunch. <laughs> I had a bur couple of uh, El Monterey burritos. <laughs> pretty good stuff. Yeah, and so, yeah, so yeah, we're writing a memoir together about our lives. Because get this, we're, we're even though we're not brothers by blood, right, we're almost 
brothers. Well, yeah, years. yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, of course, he was born in 1991. I was born in 93. Um, and but we both saw the same doctor, uh, Dr. Tracy in Detroit. Uh, but of course, like, you know, I was born here in Texas. He was born yeah. more east in Louisiana. But like we... Yeah. We saw we saw the same we we were lifelighted to Detroit to see the same doctor mm-hmm. to have our eyes corrected and really because, yeah because of yeah. that we have the vision what we have today and yeah he has like he has a little bit of vision I have light perception yeah he and, has very little vision in one eye and I exactly light another or something and, and, and so, I can see light either of you have either of you heard about the stem cell stuff yes we did yes and yeah. uh. Uh, our, our doctor, who I was seeing growing up, uh, he meant he mentioned to me and my parents about the stem cell stuff, but it hasn't progressed as hoped. Basically, uh, it's it's kind of been off the table. When was the last time you looked into it, Sailor? Uh, well, because it, listen, I'm 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 right now. I've been spending the summer getting tests done from the that this neuro neurologist is ordering because i'm preparing to go see this other doctor about getting that done to fix my brain to fix my my eyes well maybe well maybe stem cells and 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 listen listen one of the tests that uh, let me tell you about some of the tests this guy's been doing on me one of the tests he did was uh like he, he it was like he needed to know that my my optic nerve in my brain was still working right like i remember he 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 showed he well, it was it was when he did the electrode test on my brain, I think, if I remember correctly. First, he did he put all these electrodes on my brain, and I passed. Like they, they couldn't find that they couldn't find any any misfires in my brain anymore. And I used to have a lot of problems with these EEGs, right? Oh so wow! That was, that was the first really big thing. But the no, other thing that they did was they they um, shone a bright light in my eyes, and both of my eyes reacted like watering and and stuff like that so my eyes were reacting to light and the doctor was very excited by all these results because it showed him that my brain is still functioning there there are still some circuits working in there and so they they can fix it using the stuff right and since you both have light perception that means you guys probably have some functioning in your brains as well that very well might be able to be fixed with this stuff it could, oh, but yeah. you see, but you see, our condition is different than yours. Yours, yeah. like you guys yours, have been. My, mine is also our retinas, our retinas detached. So, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I did no. see, I did see my doctor, um, my eye doctor here in Houston, about a year ago, and uh, I did ask if there was anything, you know, else, you know, on, on the table to improve my vision, and he says no, not at this point, which you know. But in reality, I don't mind. I'm okay because. So, Sailor, let me tell you, doctors aren't all made the same. They don't have no. all the knowledge, all the same training, all this access to the same information. But and I can tell you this because even with these neurologists, right? I've seen two neurologists in the last month, right? And and the first one was Doctor Kumar, the one that I've been seeing, and he's been doing these tests, right? But in the meantime, my doctor asked, also wanted me to go see this other neurologist. And since I saw this other neurologist, I just asked him why I was seeing him. I was like, so are you aware of the stem cell medicine? And can you? And he's like, no, I haven't heard of it. 
And I was like, well, never mind then. So, so like he hadn't heard about the stem cell medicine, but the first neurologist had. And the reason I went with the first neurologist over the two neurologists when my doctor mentioned them both to me is because I was pretty sure I'd heard of the first neurologist because when I went online and did the research for the, for this, I kind of think he might've been one of the doctors that was mentioned in one of the reports I read. So, so just, just because one doctor hasn't heard of it, I encourage you to go online and research Sailor. And, and you know what, if you're really interested anyway, the fact that you have been blind your whole life though, you might not really be interested. I've right. talked to my other friends who've been blind their whole life and they're like, no, we're not interested. in that. <laughs> I understand that because up until recently, I didn't really think like I've been saying for years, I didn't care anymore about getting my sight back. Right. right. But I've realized in the last few months that if this happens, if this happens, this is going to be able, I'm going to be able to come and become an even better advocate than I already am. And I'm going to be able to improve everything I'm doing. My YouTube videos are going to become better. My writing is going to become better. My public speaking is going to become better. My advocacy, not only for my disa the disabled community, but for my American people as overall, because it's going to become better, right? Yeah. And, and 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 my ability to study is going to become so much better. That's why in med or in still busy busy steering the book I'm writing right now. Um one of the stories is called The Accident and that's in there I talk about the accident and how it happened and what I experienced, right? Right. And then I talk about um how I've used my faith to overcome all of it. Yes. And just a minute I lost my train of thought here. Now what I'm trying to remember why I was talking Your about faith. Um yeah so but in still busy steering i'm talking about about how how i've used my faith all these years to get me through all this stuff and and you got i have to tell you the way the way everything's been happening the last well my whole life but but then the last 33 years but then again especially the last three years since i opened my company and started really working towards what I felt like God was calling me to do, right? Like I've been writing like crazy. I've been working on improving my writing and I've been working on improving my speaking and 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 stuff, right? And and now I'm up, Gino and I are getting ready to launch our first movie, right? And yes. so we're, we have all these projects we're working on. And now, now I find out that I can probably get my vision back. And so <laughs> I, I've been thinking the last few months, I've been thinking so so I get my vision back. What do I do then? Do I go to college and become something and pretend that blind people don't exist? Of course I can't. Of mm. course I have to continue being an advocate. Yes. So, so and since so many of, see, Gino and I have been working together for three years, right? And we're about to launch our first movie, but we have several other movie projects that we're going to be working on. And many of them, are inspirational movies like Blue Butterfly. Our first movie is going to be an inspirational movie, right? Right. So I figure when I get my site back, I'm just going to use it to become even better at all of these projects God has called me to do, right? That's right. Like mm -hmm. I'll be able to help Gino in a different way with, with making the movies. Like I, I've been, well, first of all, I've been the um, financier of all of this, right? So I definitely have a say-so. But through all of this, like Gino's been asking my opinion and including me on stuff from the beginning because I told him I didn't want to just hire him to make a movie for me. I wanted to learn 
about the process. Exactly. And so he's been included oh, yeah. all along. And and it's been a really fascinating um, experience. And now we're into the, um, well, we're in pre-production right now. Uh, is that what it's called? Is it pre-production or is it pre-pre-production? I don't remember what it's called before mm. pre-production. But we're just trying to get um, a couple more financiers on board. And then we're going to go into... Uh, go into uh, creation of the movie because Gino's got, I think he's got all of his tools created now. Um, do, if you guys have time, I can tell you about a couple of the tools he's created. They're quite fascinating. Sure, yeah, go, go, go so ahead. You guys know how a movie is on is just going, right? Yes. Well, yeah. I'm trying to, give me a minute. I'll probably remember what it's called while I'm telling you about it. Gino has created this thing, which is, so he wrote the script for the movie, right? First he wrote the script and then he tore the script up and then he rewrote the script and then mm. him and his friends in his writing group, they all worked to get it perfect. And once their script was, once everybody agreed the script was perfect, then we we go into like getting ready to go into production. But before we go into production, we have to get all the finances on board. So what we've done since, first we got the script done and now we've got, I did, I had the budget done and I, which means I know exactly what the whole thing will cost, right? Right. And, and we got the um, schedule done, the schedule for filming, which means we know down to the, down to the day, how many days it will take us from beginning to end to shoot this movie. That's how filmmakers do it professionally. Like, it's not just. For example, when I set out to write my first book, I didn't know anything about writing books. So my first book was pretty, pretty hanky, right? Like, <laughs> because you're blind. I'm not very proud of the writing job, job I did on that. My later books are much better, right? Well, since I, because God brought a real professional into my life to help me with this, our first movie is getting done professionally. So we've been doing all these things. And so we have the schedule down. So our it's going to be 25 days once we go into production and we're waiting to get some other um, some other executive producers on board before we go into production. But in the meantime, Gino's been producing tools that we'll, we're going to use to approach other executive producers to see if they want to join us on our project. Right. And one of them is where he, so he wrote the script and then instead of, instead of the whole film thing being filmed, he creates it. What he does is so like for one of the scenes, well, several of the scenes take place in the courthouse in the courtroom, right? So for the courtroom scenes, he went online to like other movies, right? And he takes scenes out of other movies and stuff and creates like a collage. You know what I mean? He he created yeah. like a like a I wish I could remember what he calls it. Um it's like a slideshow of of the movie is except there's not voices and stuff and there's not actual actors it's like like it's pictures from other movies and stuff doing the same thing it's just a creative tool that that he learned to help promote movies right to financiers and stuff right and and he's been producing like i think he's produced three or four of these little tools where he's been working on them right and and so this is a process we've been working on for three years and you know rome wasn't built in a day and neither neither is a great movie and that's a quote in one of my books wow uh, my books that, i put it in well i, I think i put mm, that in changing my perspective I've heard of that before. Well, 
I can't I can't wait for your movie to come out. I can't wait to actually see it. Yep. And so um wow. So because the, the the thing is so once the director can share his vision with other directors and other executive producers, because then when other directors come on board and other executive producers, then we have their skills and talents to use as well as their everything they bring to the table, right? And that's this that's where we're at right now. But one of the tools we're one of the tools we're creating for this is something that Gino's calling. Give me a minute. It's a trailer. It's an an investor trailer. I think he's calling it. It's a trailer of you know you know when you see a trailer for a movie when 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 you see like you see a preview for a movie on TV, right? That's a yeah. trailer. It shows scenes from the movie, right? But we haven't created the movie yet. But what Gino is creating is he's, he's, he's creating a trailer to show potential investors to get them excited about our our project, so they'll come on board and and do this with us right and so right now we're preparing to film this trailer and it's a court scene it's a scene from the movie um Mm. but it's gino has some really unique ideas like and i love 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 his ideas right he's totally embraced calling this blue butterfly after like i mean that's the whole point of it right and and he um he so this this um this investment trailer that he is that we're going to film he's going to try to film it from my perspective and when i say from my perspective i don't mean the perspective of a woman i mean the perspective of a legally blind person who has a narrow mm-hmm. field of vision whose vision is blurry and similar to that of looking through the bottom of a coke bottle right exactly oh so, yeah so he's really excited because when he does the trailer, he's going to use all these tricks to kind of catch the attention of the investors and pull them in to the story right away and realize, wait a minute, this woman's blind. Why is she on trial here? Right. Wow. And so that's what one of the tools, and that's like one of four or five tools that he's been creating in the last couple of years, right. In preparation for us to start approaching investors to help us. So see, this is, what I'm saying is making a movie is a real, it's a professional process and there's lots of pieces to it. Um, and so anyway, that's just where we're at on it right now. And so I, I expect that we'll be going into production of the movie in the next few months. And we, so we're, he wants to film in New Mexico um, and he's, he's got certain, there's like, there's, I think, three or five leads in the movie let me see there's 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 going to be a 28 year old version of me in the movie there's going to be a teenage version of me me in the movie there's going to be my mother someone playing my mother in the movie someone playing pete robertson in the movie and someone playing the judge those are the five leads and in the movie. how are you selecting the cast the characters how are you doing that i'm not selecting the cast the director is selecting the cast wow. and there is there is a there he isn't even selecting the whole cast himself what he does is he's gonna let a professional casting director i don't think he's decided on which casting director we're going to use yet but he's been telling me that he's been talking to a few of them and he's been talking to them because as the director he has certain certain looks in mind for different parts right because he wants not only looks but sounds like he wants people to sound articulate or he wants them to sound slurish right 
for example, I really hope this, I, I think this scene's still in the movie. This The script's been through several versions, right? Several different changes. In one of the versions, there's a scene where Pete Robertson, who is the evil guardian in the movie, where he's in a bar drinking it up. And he gets a phone call from his ward and he's very abusive to her on the phone and he's slurring his words and stuff over the phone to her. Do you know how many times I was on the phone with my guardian and he was slurring his words because he was drunk? Oh, tons. And I think that's in my my yes. too. And I so, think. so, so that's why that scene's in the movie. At least I, I, I need to verify with Gino, it made it to the final cut. But it was in one of the earlier versions, right? And then, listen, so I know this scene didn't make it to the final cut, but I'm going to tell you a, ver- a scene that was in the ri- one of the original versions of the script that you guys are going to laugh. So one of the original versions of the script, there's a scene with my mother. It's a scene of my mother smoking a joint in our living room. And, and, and it's, it's a funny scene is what it is, because in the movie... It, it shows my mother going through st- stress and then it shows her smoking a joint to relieve her stress, right? Right. And oh. now as an adult and being a weed smoker myself, looking back, I think my mom probably was smoking weed when all this was going on, right? Because it was so traumatic for all of us. So when 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 Gino put that in one of the early versions of the script, I laughed my ass off. Wow. And so, so... And, and see, I don't, I'm pretty sure that scene didn't make it to the final cut, but those are the sorts of funny things that we, we add to the story to make it like, like, what's the word I'm trying to think of to make it movie worthy. You know what I mean? To make it interesting. So. Wow. That's that. Well, I can't wait until that movie comes out. It's so awesome. Oh yeah. But, and, um, and- Listen, listen. So it, this didn't just happen to me, though. Do you guys know who Britney Spears is? Yes, of uh, she. Yeah, of course. She. I think she had conservatorship for a while, and I think she was locked under a guardianship, guardianship slash conservatorship for thirteen years. I was locked under mine for fifteen years, but it was the exact same thing. She had lawyers and her parents robbing her and abusing her. Like really. So, those lawyers, her lawyers, they were forcing her to take drugs, mind-altering drugs. And then they convinced the court that she had a nervous breakdown, and that's how they locked her under the guardianship, right? Wow. Well, all of these people had me taking all these drugs and stuff for years, too. So, and, and listen, so Britney Spears shaved her head, right? Well, in my neck, I shaved my head, too, when I was locked under my guardianship, just like Britney Spears did. And I tell the story in this next book, still busy steering because i did it when i was in the community bridges program so i tell it that story in part two of penny Plummer's story in this next book it's wow. one of the I, well, I, I, I can't i can't crazy. wait to read that next book it's gonna be great um, and and it's just one of those many stories i tell in this next book um but but yeah and so and and i tell and so my readers will be able to connect with these stories just like they were able to in metamorphosis I know you're limiting on time. Uh, we're all limiting on time, but um, to close out, what advice do you have to my listeners? It's because you are an inspiration, and that's what the theme so of this I, podcast I, is about. I encourage your I encourage your listeners to go up and read Metamorphosis. It's Metamorphosis, a short story collection by Rebecca S. Meadows. It's on Audible, Kindle, and Amazon Print on Demand. 
And and my next book, Still Busy Steering, will be coming out in probably by the end of the year. Probably look for it around December. Okay. Um, All right. And but 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 I know I know you want them to read your books, which is awesome. But... Oh, and you should also check out my YouTube channel, Becca's World. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah. we're always but, putting new videos out on that um, but, on my channel once or twice a week these days. So, what were you saying, Sailor? I know you you want people to read your books. It's awesome. Uh, I'll definitely spread the word. But as far as oh, what yeah. what advice do you have overall on life? You know, for someone who's who's having struggles, you know, facing challenges since since. Becca, you went through so much. So, what, so it, what advice do you have? You know, to keep going. What? Uh, so how can you phrase here, it? Here's here's something that I've written in my next book that I'm working on. And so, first of all, I want to encourage your viewers or your listeners to go up to Becca's World, which is my YouTube channel, and check out my videos. And if you like them, please hit the subscribe button, and please share my videos with your friends and tell your friends and family about my videos. Um. But the one piece of advice that I have is one thing I wrote in my next book in in the story, I think I wrote it in The Accident, pretty sure that's where I wrote it, is I wrote that the way I overcame everything that I've overcome is because I had faith. I had faith in God, faith in my country, and faith in myself. And that's all that I needed, and that's all any of us really need. And so if I can leave your listeners with one important thing, that's my message is have faith in yourself. Yes. And, and have faith. faith. That's right. I like, I like how you mentioned God in the book. And also you mentioned our country. I'm, it's so awesome. You and you, you, myself and Tyler, we're on the same page. We believe in our country and we are conservatives all the way for Trump all the way. Yes. I love President Trump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this has come from someone who used to not like him, who uh-huh. wanted Ted Cruz initially, but then wanted Trump. So yeah. listen, listen, so I left my husband in August of 2016, right? Mm-hmm. And then three months later, as I was casting my vote for President Trump, I remember how weird it was because everybody was saying, oh, President Trump is a womanizer and President Trump is anti-woman. But I knew, I knew that he was going to be the best president for all of us. And so I was proud. I was proud to vote for President Trump in 2016 against that hag Hillary Clinton. And Yes. And 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 I was excited to vote for him in 2020, and yep. because I know President Trump is not a womanizer and he's not anti-woman no. and he's not anti-American, no. not anti any of that stuff. The Democrats are all of those things. So listen, guys, if if you want to know who's really the bad guys are, pay attention to all the stuff the Democrats accuse President Trump of. All the stuff they accused him of was all the shit they were doing. Every exactly. time they come up with another accusation against President Trump uh-huh. and his family or his friends or his, his you know, what his team, every single time, next thing you know, somebody in the Democrat Party was being uh, found guilty or being caught doing oh, whatever yeah. he's accusing Trump of. And it was so ridiculous. Yeah, and just keep fighting. And I know I know he's going to win again in 2024. I watched his rally in Wisconsin last night. And it was he runs again. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm sure I'm not the only woman who who was honored and excited to vote for him in 2016, right? Like, I left my husband a few months before that. 
I was definitely a an independent woman, right? I was definitely not kissing ass to men at the time, right? I was very yeah. angry with with my husband and I was disillusioned with men. And so so a lot of people would have thought, well, you should have voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 then. But dude, that lady is such a hag. How yeah. could I possibly vote for her, man? And so I was honored, honored to vote for President Trump in 2016 because I know he stands up for women's rights. Because exactly. he stands up for Americans' rights. And women are Americans. Yes, they are. And 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 and, and and girl, Becca, you you fought so hard to get your rights and get out of that guardianship. And I can we cannot be more proud of you. I I, oh, I know yeah. I know when people are lying and when people are trying to deceive, especially in these sorts of situations. Do you know how many years I dealt with lawyers and doctors and case managers and all these professionals who were scheming against me and lying to me <clears throat> against me behind the scenes? They all talk the same way all these Democrats talk. Yes. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yep. Oh, oh, well, so yeah, just thanks so much for that advice, Becca, for my listeners. Just have faith and just keep persevering. Yeah. And yeah. I know we're proud to be in the greatest country ever, right? Absolutely. Yeah. God bless America. God bless President Trump. Yes. And, Absolutely. And God bless all of us. So God bless all of us. <laughs> you guys going for now well thanks so much for being on hope without sight becca yeah thanks for having me today and please check out my youtube channel becca's world please check out my books my first book is because you're blind my second book is changing my perspective my third book is metamorphosis and i'm currently working on changing my or i'm currently working on still busy steering and my name is rebecca s meadows all right. All right. Give it up for Rebecca Meadows, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Help Without Sight with Sailor Cooper and Tyler Evans and got a lot of takeaways from this podcast. We hope you feel renewed, inspired, and encouraged like you can just carry on and conquer the world. Please hit the subscribe button on all platforms. And tell your friends and family to do the same. And in the meantime, blessings to all.